the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the Agostino Zinger Show, episode number 679 with I, your host, Agostino Zinger. This is the Agostino Zinger Show with I, your host, Agostino Zinger, and this is episode number 679. And I hope this podcast is finding you well, wherever you may be. I hope this podcast is finding you well, wherever you may be. It's been a while since I've recorded one of my you know, influential, monumental, number one cultural podcasts in the world. But I thought I would come back and jump back on the horse, get back on the wagon ASAP because there's been so much that's been happening or that's happened in the past few weeks that I have to catch up on and share with you some of my delightful, delightful hot takes. Before we continue, if you're watching this via the live stream, you may have noticed there's been a little bit of an upgrade in the camera quality. Should be anyway. I'm hoping so. Um, I upgraded and got myself a little nice, you know, decent little webcam. I also in included a nice little light bar here so you can see me. But unfortunately, because I'm a very moist and uh, well moisturized black male, I sometimes melt and sweat under the light. So if you see me wiping my brows, um, wiping my forehead and generally looking a little bit fidgety, do not worry. I'm not on the flipping, I'm not in the K-hole. I'm not tripping on Molly. I'm not high on Coke. I'm, nothing's happening like that's happening. It's just the fact that this light bar, this little LED panel thing next to me is shining directly into my head. Not really directly into my head, but kind of near my front of my face so I can have it well illuminated. You know, I've done, I've done my odd little, um, streaming, podcasting kind of YouTube education. And I found out all the things that you need to do in terms of lighting up your space and all that malarkey so i'm trying to make my little edits and updates but i know how my body is i know what my face could look like under the light and i said that sometimes <laughs> it can be a little bit mad so if i'm looking sweaty if i'm looking clammed up if i'm looking anxious don't worry <laughs> okay i promise you i'm in perfectly good health it's just the leds and the lights and shit is making me go a little bit woohoo but hey it is what it is um hopefully um the quality is somewhat decent now i think it, it it's meant to be 1080p but i'm not really too sure maybe 720 who cares but at least it's not that super grainy iphone footage that you guys were kind of getting used to that was looking a bit janky the one thing i've been happy about with this pod from the beginning of the time from the beginning of time one thing that's always been a1 has been the audio there's been some times where the volume's been a bit low and stuff but i finally got my levels where i need to be i've got the right filters but i've got a really really good microphone i've got a really really good audio interface so for the most part when it comes to me and creating content i'm all about making sure the audio is perfect if the video is a bit janky it can be i know it's annoying but as long as you can hear the person crisply i think that's usually the most important thing so 
I hope and pray that that um, those adjustments aren't going to be affecting you too much. Now, um, many things have happened today. I'm going to quickly start off, obviously, by updating you on the brown nectarine that I've got running now at the moment, as you can see here. I actually did a bit of a cheat this time with this brown nectarine. I did a little bit of a splash of chocolate yazoo. You, you, you know chocolate milk sort of little vibe and whenever i pour little bits of chocolate milk inside my flipping you know um cold brew coffee type of vibes you know who i think of every time i think of little chocolate milk in a little bit of coffee i think of wings of redemption because i know every time he's always talking about how much he loves to drink um i think it's, it's a yoohoo right i think in america you guys have got a particular brand of chocolate milk called yoohoo and wings of redemption always talks about it and it always makes me laugh when i see a bottle of yazoo that we have here in the, in the uk because it also reminds of a time when i was super fat and i would just about be you know i don't know if any of you guys have ever been super fat you would know you just end up drinking and eating weird shit. You're just drinking loads of fizzy drinks. You're drinking loads of fucking chocolate milkshakes and you just eat loads of fucking... What was I eating one time? I was eating those like kind of... I guess you'd call them, what are they called? Cheese and onion pasties, right? The kind of pasty things, pastries where it's got like a cheese and onion-y sort of like paste in the inside. Uh, we usually get them from like Greg's and I'll be munching on that. There'll be, there'll be times and, and again, Greg's is not that expensive. It's a place where you get like... I don't know, you get like pizza rolls, right? You get like baguettes with like cheddar cheese on it and shit. And most of the stuff there is like a pound, two pound, three pounds. And I'd be going in there and spending 10 pounds on a regular and then washing it all down with some, with, with a milkshake and shit. And then you wonder why you're fucking fat. It's like, honestly, the diet of a fat person, especially because I'm, I don't know, I think at the time when I was super fat, my sort of like, my sort of, um, thing that kind of got me really fat or my sort of no, my sort of guilty pleasure or something that I was always kind of drawn to was shitty processed food I wasn't because there's different types of fat people there's fat people that just like love cooking at home and just eat a lot of shit so that they make they indulge themselves right they're making mac and cheese they're making cakes and shit they're going ham with the home cooking and they're obviously giving themselves incredible portions but I was more sort of the type to buy chicken and chips every other day you know always buying takeout always buying stuff in boxes and packets, always stuff that always rustling on the, you know, my desk was always something rustling. There's always little, little wrappers and packets in little corners of my pockets everywhere. It was fucking crazy. Um, so whenever I think of Yazoo, I think of chocolate milks, the first thing I think about when I think of chocolate milks is fucking Wings of Redemption and, you know, how hard it must be to lose the grip of that because imagine being somebody when you're that fat like Wings of Redemption when you're like 400 pounds and shit. Um, and you're a live streamer, which is a, which is a strange career in itself, right? Because you can imagine, because I, I knew when I was that fat, the last thing I wanted to be doing was be seen. I didn't want to be seen. So I find it interesting how nowadays there is a whole different breed of like fat people online, especially content creators who essentially make their money based on what they look like, which is odd to me because, you know, the last thing I want to be doing when I'm fat is be seen by people. But I also remember the pain and how difficult it is to kind of adjust your flipping drinking and eating habits when you're that fat because sometimes you know when you, if you love fucking chocolate milk how are you suddenly going to turn around you know in the flick of a switch and suddenly like drinking water how are you going to 
suddenly justify in your brain that water is way more tasty than fucking coca-cola or the lemonade or the you know fanta orangeade whatever it is like it's impossible to make that leap it takes a not impossible but it takes a lot of work to obviously make that leap and kind of okay i'm all right with just like not having a million fucking spoons of fucking sugar in my tea i'm okay with maybe just having a glass of water in my meal i'm okay with maybe not having dessert this time <laughs> right or i'm okay with maybe not eating you know a fucking chicken burger at fucking 1am in the morning all these things are difficult to kind of get out of your head when you're so used to doing it so Whenever I see Yazoo, it kind of honestly reminds me of that weird period of my life where I was drinking milkshakes, eating Greg pastries and just going ham, but then also wondering why I was fat. Imagine the delusion of fatness. You're wondering why you're fat while you're, whilst you're eating legit pastries every single day and washing it down with chocolate milk. And nowadays, if I go to like a burger shop, like a decent burger shop and I buy like a nice, you know, a nice portion of fries, a nice well-made burger and stuff. And then maybe, let's say I swap the fries for cheesy fries and I get a burger or I get two burgers. I can't wash that down in a milkshake. By the second burger, I'm already like feeling a bit queasy. Like, oh shit, man, I bought this with my eyes. Right, My eyes are bigger than my belly. But before, I could literally wash down those meals with a milkshake. That was like a beverage to me. It didn't make me feel full, which is fucking nuts to think that. But hey, what can you do, man? Diary of, a, diary of an ex-fat guy. Oh, that dark nectarine with a bit of Yazoo is lovely. Anyway, moving on from that, quick one to mention this. Um, there's been a lot of conversation I've seen with people that I know myself and just people around and stuff online with like, you know, what it means to be a friend and how to kind of look out for friends and how to act with friends and mostly around the idea of holidays and all that. I'm sure most of you are either you know enjoying your summers or you're planning to go vacation or you're doing you know more outdoor things or just hanging out with your friends more so now even if you're not going anywhere so i've heard a lot of people having some pretty nightmarish experiences with their friends these days where they're going out on holidays and they're quickly realizing that oof this friend who i love and you know really cherish their friendship isn't the kind of person you should be taking to a holiday where you're gonna go do sightseeing isn't maybe the person you take on holiday to go clubbing isn't the person you take on holiday to go eating isn't the type of person you go on holiday to do adventure stuff like there are different friends in different groups of your friendship groups who you should take to certain things but you don't realize it until you do the thing right it's very very difficult to kind of figure it out <laughs> And you have to kind of go through the pain and I remember specifically for me back in 2018 the first time me and my friend went to Primavera Festival which is the number one I'm gonna say the number one live music festival in the world I don't care what anyone says it's number one numero uno um, it's out there in Barcelona and it kind of covers every single music genre that you need from heavy metal to hip hop to pop punk um, to country to UK rap to DJs it's such that everything is covered un under that Primavera sound it's one of the world best organized festivals the sound is amazing and um, the vibes are immaculate and obviously it's in Barcelona, one of the best cities in the world, right? For drinking and eating. Fucking fantastic. But one thing we realized quickly, pretty quickly, me and my friend went, obviously. And then I think the, the me and my friend went the first time, me and Bobby. And then the, the second, no. And then, in the, and then that first time, another friend joined in last minute or tagged along, actually, after we were there. And another time, another friend also tagged along with us. And one thing we realized quite quickly was that there's certain people that you can't really go on holiday with 
or if you do go on holiday with them you have to be aware and accept an understanding of how they're going to act because I'm also a, a person who doesn't I'm not somebody that advocates for trying to change your friends behavior to kind of suit your needs I think that's incredibly selfish um I think sometimes the hardest thing to do is to maybe just accept your friend for who they are and just enjoy the bits about them that you enjoy or maybe decide hey you know what you're not for me totally and I'm going to go another direction but the idea of trying to change your friends and convince them what they're doing is I don't know I think at a certain, at a certain age just non doesn't make any sense a waste of time and also I think it goes against the tenets of friendship part of the reasons you know why you're friends with somebody is because they may have some things that they do that you don't like but because they have more things that you do like they're your friends with them same if you love somebody sort of thing anyway regardless you have to accept that i think right? that's part of the thing you have to accept people's you know people's things and we quickly realize that when we're out there like oh shit this other person is like a bit of a nightmare to hang out with but you're out on holiday now you can't ditch them you can't leave them um you don't want to you feel guilty if you try to and you're just out there together you just have to make it work but along the whole entire way you're like oh my god never again never again never again and I remember the thing that was really annoying and kind of hurtful about that time was that it was pretty fine at the festival when you're at the festival it's fine because there's lots of distractions and music different people sights and sounds blah 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 so you can kind of just enjoy it for what it is but in the moment you guys are away from the festival and you're maybe going out in the morning to get some breakfast you're on the way back from the festival going back to the hotel the airbnb suddenly you're reminded of how annoying that other person is so you kind of have to just accept those kind of four hours before six hours after the occasion are always going to be odd but then the one in between is going to be fine and it's just something you kind of have to just navigate through but then the whole entire time you're sitting there thinking you know what never again never again never again never again but you just have to get through that festival you have to get through that holiday you have to get through that vacation you just have to get through it and there's nothing else that you can do you can't ditch the midway through it's impossible and it is really brutal and sometimes there are some friendship groups that never recover from them those vacations those trips away some friendship groups come back home and never ever recover it fundamentally changes the dynamic of the friendship completely to the point where maybe you don't speak anymore that's how deep it can get and it's annoying and it's really sad because I've seen people which is really odd to say this right but I've worked in I've worked at places where people colleagues that didn't know each other from before they worked there would go on holiday and have a blast no issues whatsoever but the moment they go with their friends who they've known for like you know two decades plus you know, they, to the point where now these people are like their brothers and sisters they're not even friends anymore they're like they know them at a deeper level it's a it's a whole entire nightmare and i never understood that like people that you work with who you know you'd imagine that's a bit more of a random selection of people as we have a flick of a coin whether or not you're going to get on but people have legitimately i know have gone to holiday or vacation with work colleagues and had a completely amazing time no issues whatsoever but suddenly you go with your friends and it's like like entire 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 nightmare and i don't know I just think personally, yeah, I'm going to say, oh, but flipping cloud K20 in the chat just um, read my mind. I was just about to say the worst type of personality for me in a holiday, especially in a friendship group, has to be the person that's always complaining. Because I don't really mind a person that doesn't really, because some people don't like the person who doesn't have any input in terms of decisions where to go. It's always like just waiting for other people to make the plan for them some people hate that person some people hate the person that's like that that comes with no money and expects everyone to buy 
their food for them or to chip in for them and stuff that's annoying or even the person that maybe has a very tight budget and then tries to heavily influence what the group does like i don't want to go there it's too expensive i don't want to go there all that stuff no i don't actually mind that the overall complainer is legitimately the worst type of individual taking holiday with you as a friendship group the worst the person that just complains that can find no that finds a way to find fault in absolutely everything is so draining because in the beginning what you do the mistake that you make because you're such an because you're in such a good mood you're on a holiday and you have a blast you try to fix their mood you try to kind of like help them through it like don't worry man it's going to be fine we're gonna have a good time wait until we get to this place wait until we do this blah 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 uh, this you try and actually help them through it because you think they're just having a bit of an episode but then by the second day maybe even by the, the end of the first day you realize oh this is just how they are this is their temperament when they're like outside their comfort zone they just turn into the complainer person and they become so draining even if you ignore, choose to ignore them even if you're like, you know what, I'm going to let them say what they say, but I'm going to completely ignore them. It becomes so, so, so draining. Legitimately draining. Mind, body, and soul. Exactly. Even Natashki, Big Up Natashki is saying in the chat, they're literally energy vampires. And there's nothing, like, I would much rather have somebody come on holiday that has no money and legitimately help pay their way through the entire thing, but they're happy to be there, they have a good attitude, they're open to anything because they're broke, they don't have any money, so wherever you say you're going and you're paying, they're going to come along. I'd much rather have that person and go back home being entirely broke myself because I paid for them than be going to the holiday with somebody that's a complainer. I swear my life, I swear it. There's no nothing comes close to that complainer person. They are just a complete drain on friendship groups a drain i think on society actually people who just find fault in absolutely everything because you'd imagine my kind of temp my temperament is that when you go on holiday you kind of meant to like show the best of you so even if you are like a, a bit whingy a bit pessimistic when you're back home when you're on holiday you're meant to kind of like loosen up and be a bit more optimistic a bit more bubbly that's what you're meant to do you're meant to kind of be on your best behavior when you're away from home it's sort of like starting over at a new college you want to kind of bring your best foot forward and sort of try and reinvent yourself for this short amount of time that you're away. But some people, whatever, for whatever reason, they go to a new place, new surroundings, and it just makes them kind of shut down. It makes them only see the worst in things. And it just becomes a, oh. But again, like I said, the, the utterly sad part about all this is that you have to go through it. There's no real, you won't realize this until you go away. You won't realize it until you pay the money for the flight, pay the money for the accommodation, you, you you go arrange to go you take what's the same flight there whatever, whatever happens you have to actually go there physically and invest your funds in order for you to realize who the drain in the friendship group is and who is the good vibe and the bad vibe to go on holiday with that's the unfair notion about all that sort of stuff i swear to god it's really really sad but what can you do and then of course speaking about that and thinking about that it got me thinking and looking up and checking Primavera Sound 2023 festival lineup, which just finished this past weekend, I think. And God Almighty, man, I, I think I purposely ignored it because my plan was to go, but then I checked the flights for this time of the year, like June when it started, um, when it was around I think May, June, whatever. And the flights were just crazy. Like I, I don't know what's happened. I'm sure you guys have seen it in the states um, and other places around the world. 
I think flights have just increased weirdly over time. I think last time we went to Primavera Fest, Sound Festival, other times I've been to Prim I've been to Barcelona specifically to go and run half marathons or just to go and hang out and stuff. I've been there a few times. The flights have been no more than like 250 pounds, no more than that, even during the peak seasons. But this time around, I was looking for flights for June-ish um, to go to Primavera Sand, end of May, beginning of June. And the prices were like 400 pounds. It almost doubled. And this is without even buying the ticket to go to the festival, which is still, it's pricey, but I think it's probably the most um, value for money you're going to get. Because I think it's like a five-day festival. It's 250 pounds. And it's honestly one of the best cities in the world um, in terms of food and, you know, gastronomy, gastronomy, I guess you call it, right? Um, in terms of food and drink culture and stuff, it's fucking amazing. Great restaurants, great bars, um, you know, just sensational. I, don't, I think the last time we went there in 2018, we kept picking random cool little breakfast spots to go to in the morning to go get like you know fucking spanish omelets and i don't know fucking peppers and shit like whatever and legitimately like we there was no bad restaurant you could pick no bad little cafe that you could pick just by checking the star ratings on like google maps and shit like they were all sensational so the food in barcelona is really high the level so even though you're paying a lot for the ticket festival you're also getting a lot just from the city like walking around, it's a really easy walkable city, good food, good drink, blah, blah, blah. But having to pay £400 to go there just seemed insane. So I think I purposely, you know, did a little bit of a command backspace on Primavera and didn't really remember the flipping whole festival vibe. But I just double checked the lineup now again on the website. And oh my God, man, the lineup for this festival was legitimately insane, right? And you've already got here um, Pet Shop Boys playing. Uh, you got Blur, Horsey, New, uh, New Order, Dark Side Ghost, one of my favorite metal bands. Uh, you got Turnstile, one of my favorite fucking, I guess you're going to be calling them hardcore bands. Central C playing there, Pusha T playing there, Rema playing there. Um, too many amazing, of course. Then you got the second day, you had um, Kendrick Lamar, the Pesh Mode headlining, Baby Keem, Fortet, Fred again, Skrillex. Like insane, insanely, insanely powerful 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 lineup and just again like i said the best value for money because it covers such a wide barometer of people but one thing i remember when i went to primavera town festival was how interesting it was to see who the actual big acts were from like hip-hop and shit because sometimes i think because i consume a lot of american content I see a lot of these big American rappers on the American side of things playing at like Rolling Loud and stuff. And you think certain people are big, but then there's people that perform at Rolling Loud, then try and do their own tour and it doesn't really sell as well or whatever it may be. And so I realize, oh, there's a, there's a difference like in terms of that like, scale. And then other them to try and like, you know, tour internationally and doesn't do too well. Just to realize like there's a real difference between like being like popular in the US in with a certain crowd at a festival being popular by yourself touring the country and also being able to tour the world the the rest of the world because you know rest of the world isn't as obsessed with america as maybe america's obsessed with itself which makes sense so one thing i realized a lot when i went to primavera sound was how popular somebody like an asap rocky was because i legitimately was one of those people that always thought like why does asap rocky keep getting headlining spots at these festivals like he hasn't put out an album in years he hasn't been I wouldn't say even relevant. He hasn't been as big as he once was many years ago in a long time. Um, obviously, the, the Rihanna relationship maybe helps things along, but usually no one's booking you for a big festival because you happen to date one of the biggest pop stars in the world. It doesn't make any sense. 
But when ASAP Rocky touched that stage in Primavera, all my doubts about him went away. The crowd went crazy. And I realized, oh, Rocky might not be like the most current rapper in the world, but he's definitely one of the most popular international because that's an international audience. And it made a lot of sense. Like when he came on the screens, like Primavera had these screens, which are really cool, which I, the first time I actually saw them in the festival, where obviously you had just got the stage and had the cameraman zooming into the, the person performing and then projecting that shot on the screen. So if you're standing far away, you could see them. And every time his face came on the fucking screen, the girls would be screaming. I, I've never heard, the only, heard, only time I've heard screams like that before in my life was like, you know, when you see clips of like K-pop people coming out of hotel rooms and shit. Like, honestly, the girls and the gays were legitimately screaming for Rocky. He'd be like on the stage in between the songs, smiling and shit with all these little, you know, with these fucking grills shining in the sun, in the bus on the sun, coming on the screen and then people would be screaming. His tracks would come on, they'd be singing it word for word. I'd be like, oh, that's what a superstar looks like. And again, he's not the most current guy in the world, hasn't had an album in, out in a long time, no big number one hits and shit, but still somebody that's been able to kind of sustain a real monumental kind of appeal and pour to people. And one other person who I thought I went to highlight, and I saw a clip just now on YouTube, which is interesting about this international, international audience wise, especially for people that are American based, listen to my podcast and stuff. It's interesting to see who is internationally really highly regarded from like American rappers. One person who's supremely popular, especially in the UK, especially in Europe, oddly enough, which I've always understood, I've always kind of never really understood why that's the case, actually, when you consider his content and his lyricism and his perspective is very, you know, it's from a very particular um, way of looking at things as a kind of young black man growing up in LA. It's Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is such a big deal in the UK. It's such a big deal in Europe and beyond. People love him here. Love him insanely. Like his tracks come on in like regular bars or regular clubs here in London, full of flipping white people who you think maybe wouldn't give a fuck about him. And they know all the fucking lyrics word for word. And the thing you have to understand in Europe also, we have an amazing culture or a thing that we do here where it's really kind of, encourage for you to go to a festival and a performance and legitimately sing shit word for word like it's kind of a badge of honor to go to a show and know all the words you don't just stand there and look cool you actually have go there and have a good time so when you see these shows and performances legitimately people are going there to kind of like show off and let the artist know hey i'm an actual fan of yours i fucking think you're awesome so i'm gonna sing and scream these bars word for word so you can hear me and legitimately this clip taken from the primavera sound festival just happened recently now um with Kendrick Lamar performing Money Trees is a good example of it. Like, just hear the fucking crowd. They are going crazy.
Nah, nah, nah. Kendrick is too hard. Honestly, Kendrick is too hard. It's making me smile so much. It brings back so many. It brings back so many. Natasha is singing. Yeah, you know it, Natasha. You know. Honestly, this brings back such good fucking memories. There's something almost euphoric, I swear to God, about being surrounded by people that you don't fucking know from Adam or Eve singing along to one of your favorite fucking artists it's almost magical i swear to god in the sun like i remember that's one thing because i'm i've always had a so i'm flipping this coffee is making me go crazy i've always had an issue flipping digesting fucking beer and shit right but there's something about drinking beer which i don't usually drink because it doesn't sit right with me under the sun in Barcelona with like randoms from all over the world um singing along to your favorite artist that just hits different like legit like I was drinking beer the entire time I was out there like and I don't drink beer on a daily it's not something I do and I was loving it and it was such a good vibe man it was like a flipping amazing time and everyone's singing along to the raps and shit and then me realizing in real time wow this person's really big that person's really big like it's just fucking phenomenal to check out and I think it's interesting because I'm, I also wonder, like, what do you have to do if you're an American artist, especially a rapper, right? Like, how do you figure out or how do you kind of approach trying to be international? Like, how do you get there? You know, like, w what do you speak about? Is it just being entirely authentic about your experience and where you've kind of grown up? Because it's a universal sort of story everyone has, right? Of struggle and pain and disappointment and setback and blah, blah, blah. Is it a particular sound? Is it the way Kendrick enunciates? You know, he's, 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 he's got amazing stage presence. He doesn't dance or do any theatrics on stage, but he can hold and command the entire stage on his own. He enunciates really well. He's obviously very lyrical and, you know, what somewhat intellectual you want to call it, very introspective. I don't know what it is but it must be cool if you're an american artist that does pretty well home to also come abroad and have the same amount of love if not more from people who don't usually get to see all the time because you know the american audience you guys get spoiled with these guys because they're home based they're playing all the time you know you can see them whenever but us europeans or us people from overseas we don't really have that option people don't come here often enough if they do they want to you know go to big do big shows and they're afraid they book the big shows and doesn't sell it looks embarrassing blah 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 so it's hard to get these guys to come over but when they do come over we let them know hey we pre we're happy to have you here do you know what i mean we want to we want you to know that we're big fans we want to give you that love so that you come back again and the singing along culture of it is just like supreme and i can't imagine how amazing that must have felt but then the other clip that i saw that i thought was even more amazing than that was this clip of rosalia performing at flipping primavera sound festival rosalia performing this this special which this special might be my favorite track from the recent album it's a fucking bop right absolute bop right and can you imagine how electric it must have been to seen Rosalia performing, especially when you can think about her career and it's gone, right? She's kind of blown up over the last few years. To see Rosalia performing in her hometown, Barcelona, after the success that she's had, touring the world, doing whatever she's been doing, growing big, getting big, amazing collabos and shit, artistry on fleek, live show going crazy, like all the endorsements, just amazing artists in general. And then to come back home, kind of like a bit of a homecoming and say, hey, here's what i've been doing since i've been away like hit this one in the spanish-speaking country Oof. yo they are singing this shit 
word for fucking word. And if you know anything about Rosalia, she has very interesting inflection and enunciations and the way she kind of like, you know, uses her voice as an instrument. And they are doing all of it. All of it. It's fucking incredible. Watch it. Hear this clip. so loud i know the recording the guy's probably like got his mouth right next to the mic anyway but it's so loud <laughs> the crowd is singing along so loud you can barely hear rosalie through the microphone that is insane fan love as dj Khaled would say that fan love is on another level it's so loud that you can barely hear her god bless her you can barely fucking hear her <laughs> <laughs> And usually in some cultures, right? In some, not in some cultures, in some countries or in some, with some people, usually when it's like a breakdown on a track, you're usually let, let, let the person do their thing. Like it's kind of looked down upon. There's been a couple of videos of like um, Beyonce live and she's been doing some of her runs and it's kind of like an, it's kind of like a not, it's kind of like a not polite thing to do to kind of like sing along at the top of her voice while she's doing her little runs. You kind of let her kind of have a breakdown. But <laughs> I love how in Europe, that's not a thing. We don't give a fuck. We sing the whole thing through, like karaoke. So even this little section of the special where it's kind of meant to be a time for her to kind of do her thing, people are still singing along to it. I fucking love it. I don't care, man. Honestly, honestly, man. I need to get out to festivals ASAP. I'm missing them so much. Um, hearing people fucking complain about their friends going on holidays and stuff is legitimately making me remember how amazing and how interesting and fun and diabolical and disastrous that first time we went to Primavera was. And one of our friends just went flipping insane. Um, and we just finally, you know, decided, hey, between us, hey, we're not going to go on holiday with her again. <laughs> Quietly. And something should probably decide the same thing too. But man, when it works, it fucking works. Honestly, when it works, it fucking works. So yeah, Primavera Sound, one of the best festivals in the world. If you're looking for something to do inside that kind of field, I recommend you check it out because legitimately is one of the best festivals in the world. I guarantee you it is.
So, next, moving on. Before I continue, actually, let's move on to this one. So, I've been listening to the to this for the past couple of days, and it legitimately is very, very impressive. Um, because I'm kind of odd in that I don't really like a lot of the UK rap stuff. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe because I'm, you know, my perspective is way too, um, you know, on the American side of things. So once you hear the UK side of things, you kind of compare it to the American things that you like. And maybe you think it's not as, it's not on the same level when it clearly is, but you know, whatever, maybe it's just a preference. But obviously to the people that I kind of look at and I've been fans of since they've come on the scene, more so with the first person, Dave. Um, and obviously recently, most recently with Central C, I've kind of like what they've done individually themselves i've kind of been a fan of what dave's done project wise his music wise you know in terms of his lyricism is amazing his videos are always great he actually performs incredibly well live also because that's not a given with a lot of these uk rap people and just rappers in general they're usually not the greatest live performers but 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 i think this collabo tape split decisions between dave and central c is incredibly incredibly smart thing to do the first thing why it's a smart thing to do, which I didn't realise, was that they're both the same age. And oddly enough, they both have birthdays within a day of each other. I think if one person's birthday is on like the 25th, the other person's birthday is 26. So they're like literally a day apart or something. And they're the same age. Which I didn't realise because, they, you know, Central C hasn't been that famous for a while. But Dave has. And he's been very successful. I just thought he was older. I didn't know these guys are only 25. So their ceiling is fucking insane. And the potential that they have you know in the future so they continue doing what they're doing now is ridiculous especially when you think about them both being independent like it's wild right so in that respect i think this tape is really good it's ep because if you're not the biggest fan of dave if you're not the biggest fan of central c i think this tape of them going back to back on these four tracks is the best way to kind of get the best of both worlds like you get to not hear maybe too much dave or too much central c but you get to hear them kind of like split the workload but also kind of at the same time produce something really special in itself like because this feels like it's been made with some level of like care and attention this doesn't feel like something that they kind of rushed just because they bumped into each other at, on tour you know, or in Dubai or something. This is like something they actually did some spun, didn't sp spend sorry, some time in the studio crafting and putting together and figuring out who works best on what, who should go where here, who should go first, first, who's going to do the chorus, whatever. Like all those little decisions that they made sonically, you know, in terms of structure, in terms of production, really kind of enhanced the entire listening experience and i really enjoyed it my really interesting track that i absolutely love which i fucking think is absolutely fire has to be trojan horse even though the other the tracks are probably going to be a lot more popular in terms of the clubs and stuff but when this first couple of bars kicked in from dave because dave has a really good and interesting way i think it's similar to like wretch free too he's really amazing i like um introspective sort of like taking you there lyrics that kind of put you in a particular mindset and remind you of where you were at a certain place in time and when it opens up with this verse from dave right these 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 opening lines legitimately i had to wield this up like two or three times maybe five times in the gym it starts off with dave verse one i'm feeling villainous i couldn't afford them kicks i had one pair and i cleaned them rigorous squeezing junior I feel like Vinicius. <laughs> Are you hearing what he's saying here? 
I'm feeling villainous. I couldn't afford them kicks. I had one pair and I cleaned them rigorous. Squeezing Junior feel like Vinicius. Young G stupid, but they ain't idiots. It's scary. Trap insidious. Yo, I heard those first couple of bars, especially these first opening two, about couldn't afford them kicks. I had one pair and I cleaned them rigorous. They immediately took me back to like secondary school times where I was like obsessed with sneakers I, I still am to a certain extent but I think back then I would really have called myself a sneakerhead I had like over a hundred pairs I was buying like pairs every fucking week you know getting stuff sent to my mum's house she was getting pissed off that I was spending all my money on that shit and not fucking you know contributing money to the bills or putting money in an electric key and shit I was going nuts I was like but I was one of those weirdos sneakerheads where I didn't have a lot of clothes but I had loads of loads of shoes that was one of the most redacted things I did like I had like one pair of jeans but like 79 pairs of Air Max ones or some stupidness right but one thing I remember when I first got on my flipping journey of being a sneakerhead was I usually start off with only a couple of shoes but you care for them and you kind of look after them in a way that's legitimately almost quite sad the way you look after these shoes like I would legitimately be wearing them a certain way I'd be stuffing them with tissue paper before I went to sleep I'd put them in the freezer sometimes I'd be using Tipex to clean the soles I'd be toothbrush cleaning them with maybe um, dipping the toothbrush in a little bit of a mixture of bleach with some little warm soapy water like crazy levels to keep these things fresh so that when it came time to go to like a house you know little function a little house party function or as the kids call them now the little motives you go to a little dance you go to a little shubs i was ready to go even though you know in my head i thought they looked spankling spank sparkling clean but most likely this looked like you know really old shoes that i've been you know cleaned rig very rigorously so when i heard this bars it kind of immediately put me in that flipping place but throughout the entire thing one thing i also realized was that i kind of prefer dave's rapping style to a central c i found central c to be a little bit more um how do i say it I wouldn't say infantile, but it's just not the, to my taste, really, how he raps. But I also think Dave is like a perfect conduit. Like, weirdly enough, like you would imagine Dave, for how lyrical he is, it would somehow show up Central C's kind of limited, you know, lyrical expertise or whatever, right? Because yeah, I think Central C is more like of a vibes man, which is not a bad thing. But actually, they complement each other really well. It doesn't show him up. It just provides Central Sea a platform to be way more of himself and to kind of show off his kind of strengths. And he kind of really does show up in a really big, big way on this tape. Like, again, I'm not the biggest Central Sea fan as an artist, but I really was impressed with his performance on this EP. I legitimately, legitimately was. So if you are looking for something to listen to and you aren't the biggest fan of UK rap, I legitimately encourage you to check out trojan horse um so or the full ep split decision by dave and central c it's only four tracks so you know it's, it's a nice easy digestible amount of music to listen to the cover art is fucking amazing right you've got this amazing um i forgot what the model of this uh, ferrari is is it f450 or is it a spider i forgot what model it is but i remember having a model version of this as a little toy car back in the day but i, f I forgot the actual model of it because i'm not a biggest car guy but this picture is fucking incredible of this crane kind of lifting up this porsche either off the flipping yacht 
or into the yacht fucking great um so if you legitimately have you know your doubts about uk rap i recommend you check it out legitimately check it out split decision by dave and central c i've been playing it since it dropped and i think this ep is fucking flames i swear to god um people saying chat it's an f um 450 or f70 yeah it's something along the kind of i think it's if because i remember the spider's usually the one that's got the it's kind of got like a, a hammerhead sort of like shape at the front if i'm not mistaken and this probably is a bit of a spider but what i do remember about this car is that last time i remember seeing it being sold because i think not many of them were made i think a brand new one was going for like a million plus or something like crazy um which is ridiculous but it definitely is something that you know a lot of car collectors would obviously have on their fucking bucket list of cars to kind of purchase because jesus christos but yeah check it out it's a decision by dave and central c out now on all the places that you guys go and check out you know music and whatnot so moving on to that i quickly wanted to speak about a couple bits and bobs that i saw online from rick owens that i kind of got my eye on that i wanted to purchase and mostly to do like you know very naughty adult things with them when i saw this little thing from flipping rick owens again this is maybe the club kid in me and maybe going out and dancing too much and doing too many drugs and taking too much you know and drinking too much the first thing i thought about when i saw this fucking rick owens necklace right was that this would be the perfect thing to like spoon fucking kept when you're in a party or something that's the first thing i thought about when i saw this not that the chain looks pretty interesting and it's an interesting little charm at the end of it right with this little interesting shape that sort of reminds you of some of the interesting pieces of furniture and architecture and stuff and interior that rick owens himself is obsessed with that sort of like brutalist sort of aesthetic that he kind of goes for right not that the first thing i thought about when i saw this necklace was that this would be the perfect thing to spoon some fucking ketamine quickly whilst you're in the fucking dance club right doing your shit that's the first thing that i thought about the first thing i thought about is like, hey that'll be a perfect thing to little, do a little spoon you know a little spoon um into your flipping nostrils and keep it going that's the first thing that i thought when i saw this so that definitely kind of shows you where my mind is and maybe it kind of shows you where you know in terms of being absent and in terms of kind of removing yourself from doing these sort of things you start imagining what it would be like you know doing it with this little 235 pound rick owens flipping necklace right it's absolutely bizarre then the other thing i saw that i actually liked the look of a lot that i was thinking hmm this is something that i would actually purchase actually rock is this oversized rick owens and champion um t-shirt i think the fit on this is really 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 nice this boxy drapey sort of fit it kind of has like a bit of a mesh look to it but i'm sure it's not mesh if i'm gonna zoom into it a bit more here i'm sure this shirt is just like a regular cotton t-shirt in terms of a thing it doesn't look like it's going to be mesh, but it kind of looks like a really light kind of vibe of a fabric. It's got that pendant sort of almost, it kind of looks a bit satanic, the logo that um, Rick Owens now kind of uses as he's sort of like branding with a champion logo on the Instagram, right? Um, I kind of do like it, but you know, if you wear this around any right wing person, especially those type of people who are now obsessed with the fact that Target is turning their kids gay, they're going to go crazy. They're going to think you are legitimately worshipping the devil. But I legitimately do like the look of that t-shirt and think it looks really really cool and something i'll definitely definitely would wear so just imagine me being in a club somewhere 
with one of those flipping whistle things, right? <laughs> as a spoon and also using this t-shirt <laughs> as something to sort of wear to go to a club. You know I'm on demon time when I wear this sort of stuff. You absolutely know I'm on demon time. But yeah, Big Up Rick Owens, loads of amazing cool stuff available there now if you want to check that sort of vibe out. But just bear with me one second so I get a little tissue here. And we're back. So um, another thing I wanted to mention quickly here, I think it's interesting to mention here, was this update. And I wonder, what do people that listen to my podcast think about something like this? I'd really be interested to find out, especially those of you who are checking out the show live here via YouTube. There's been this update recently, um, courtesy of the interwebs, right, of the one known as Aubrey Drake is it will be Drake Graham or whatever his name is, right? Or Drake in general, right? Has been seen recently sporting some nail polish. And it's kind of caused a bit of an uproar on the internet, which I don't really know why, because, you know, Drake has been very clear and kind of very honest with kind of who he is, like him or lump him in terms of his personality. But for some reason, a lot of people are surprised or annoyed about, you know, the way he's kind of been running around town lately, wearing that shirt recently about having a hard dick, having that necklace where all the diamonds represented all the girls that he had proposed to over the years. I think it was like 42 or whatever. Loads of stuff that people think, I guess, because of his age that he shouldn't be doing. But I think, you know, he's essentially like a real life um, bachelor, rock star type of dude, leaving, you know, the, living basically his best life, being the number one artist in the world. Um, you know, it's kind of makes sense that he's kind of doing this sort of stuff. I think if you were that person, you'd probably do the same sort of thing too. But the funny thing is now you're seeing like, you know, him taking the final steps, right? Of kind of approaching that, what do you call it? Legendary fuckboy status or whatever that may be, right? By painting his nails now. And a lot of people have had some issues with it. Me personally, the only thing that I have an issue with it is I just think in terms of coolness, this might be the most uncool thing Drake has done in a while. Because I personally think the whole men painting the nails thing as like a fashion statement it's kind of run its course. I think it was all those things because I've, you know, I've done a lot of questionable fashion-y accessory type of things in terms of expressing oneself. But it was only interesting when I was kind of the only person doing it at the time, especially in my area or especially in my group of friends or especially in that certain period of time. It was only interesting when I was only doing it. So when I was wearing choker necklaces, that was really cool because I was only one of the few people that were doing it. When I was wearing really big, you know, Berlin techno hoops, that was really cool because I was, I was one of the only people I could see around my area where I was around doing it. When I was wearing big stacky boots and, you know, aggressive fucking ripped jeans and band t-shirts and cutting my hair a certain way listen to certain thing that was all really cool when I was only person sort of doing it at the time when it all became mainstream especially when I think about the stuff that kids are doing now in terms of wearing chokers in terms of wearing pearls in terms of wearing crop tops in terms of wearing nail polish now it's kind of been tiktokified it just isn't cool anymore it looks a little bit lame like even if a kid that was 22 now suddenly started painting their nails I still think you look a bit corny you look like you missed the boat, like you missed the boat, like maybe three or four years ago. The same thing that, you know, people look at when people criticize guys like Machine Gun Kelly, right? There was a period of time where Machine Gun Kelly just suddenly popped out and he kind of looked like a pop punk, pop punk kid out of the blue. It was never like a steady progression. 
And I think with Drake, it's sort of like the same sort of thing. It's like not the coolest thing to do, but it's also clearly, I think more so evidence of him maybe just becoming more comfortable with himself. Like he's willing to just do shit for the sake of doing it because he just likes it. And I think that also in a weird way, because I'm going to double speak here, that also is maybe the coolest thing to actually do stuff because you just want to do it. No, knowing full well, most people are going to look at you and think that's not the coolest thing to do. It looks a bit lame, but just because, you know what, fuck it, why not? And personally, in terms of optics, I love the duality and the contrast between wearing a state property, you know, romper, onesie, whatever he's got on here, an oversized shirt and having the nails done in painted yellow. I think that's incredible. That that that, that friction going on between those two opposing kind of like trends and motifs and what they represent to the culture and stuff is fucking amazing. Like the number one rapper, the number one hip hop artist in the world wearing a state property shirt, a group, you know, known for fucking being the fucking, you know, realist people out there in terms of, you know, what they rapped about and living their raps and then painting your nails. Like I think that duality is fucking incredible. But it's also just funny because if you look deep at it, and this other picture here, on the on the left hand side, so he's got all these nails are painted yellow. But then on the left hand side, he's got his finger that would be his ring finger, right? That's the funny thing. The finger that would be his ring finger is painted blue. <laughs> obviously maybe to symbolize you know love and engagement and shit like you know just regular things that you would imagine a mixed race guy would love right like mixed race boys especially in london they love baby blue they love being sweet boys and he has that kind of element about him right the massive diamonds in his ears um the kind of bees at the end of his fucking braids and then the little blue hit here on his wedding band finger that's the only thing that's funny but if it was me and i was gonna go about you know um getting my nails polished actually getting my nails colored with nail polish the only thing that i would contemplate com contemplate doing is maybe getting like a particular nail done like maybe getting the thumb and the pinky or something but i think the idea of having like a full set painted nowadays is just a little bit naff a little bit lame i used to do that i don't know maybe like five to six seven years ago i think you could see other episodes of the axino zinga show where I used to do it, like usually on my way out, sometimes wearing my fucking cut off band t shirts. And you can see why I move my hands around. I've got my nose polished, but it was never really that big of a deal. It was just a sort of lifestyle that I was kind of living at the time. But I did that a long, long time ago. But I would never kind of now start doing it now because it become in trend again. It just feels a little bit ridiculous, a little bit lame. Another thing I thought as well that kind of hurts him in this respect might be the fact that his nail shape is a little bit small, isn't it? He's got like really small hands. And his nails seem to be really small. So I don't know what that what that bit of your nail is called. Is it the cuticle? I don't know. what, what Whatever the, the, the nail size of it is called, right? It's just a bit small and dainty looking. So when you paint it, it kind of just highlights how small your nails look and how small your hands look. And it also puts a lot of like attention onto your hands. And one thing I've noticed over the years, if you look at Drake's fucking hands, like he's got the hands of somebody that's a multi-millionaire going to be a billionaire he's got billionaire hands his hands look like he has never done a hard day's work in his entire life like his hands look fucking buttery soft like it's insane how lovely his hands look and it's funny because 
he's got the complete opposite of my hands where my hands are like are fucking huge and covered in fucking callus calluses from fucking weightlifting and just being a fucking animal and touching shit and falling over and skating and playing football like my hands are just covered in scars and dents and all this sort of shit right and drake's hands are legitimately legitimately look soft they look baby soft legitimately so that contrast of having your nails done and having really soft dainty hands as a man it just kind of makes it look a bit funny but i also like i said rate the confidence to do it now because the nail polish thing i think is kind of dusted similar to wearing like chokers similar to wearing crop tops as a dude that kind of whole thing is a bit done for but the fact that he's doing it now is also a little bit cool because he's just doing it because he loves it but because if you scroll back up towards the top here, you've got here a picture of him with two hands. You've got here a picture of like various people in hip hop, NBA young boy here on one side and ASAP Rocky on the other side were doing their nails. And I think the, the ASAP Rocky side of doing his nails where he uses his nails as like a canvas to have like different bits of art painted on them or whatever they do. That's pretty cool. I still wouldn't do it. Again, I purposely would be at probably the pinky done and maybe a thumb or maybe get the whatever, just two fingers. I don't know, there's something really cool about having like two fingers done really well or something. The idea of like doing it all, all over your fingers is a little bit, I don't know, a little bit infantile, a little bit kiddish. But again, NBA young boy is fairly young. I think he might be under 25 years old. So that makes complete sense. And he also comes from a particular, you know, a whole different type of upbringing. So him kind of embracing that side of things is a bit, you know, it, it has a different sort of meaning towards it. But I think the rest of it is just, I don't know. There's something just ultimately, I think, lame about it, in my opinion. It's just something kind of lame about it now. It kind of has gone a bit too pop. It's gone a bit too TikTokified. But it's just hilarious to the optics of Zach seeing like a, what's Drake now? A 35-year-old man, maybe more than that, like, you know, decide to paint their nails um and go that kind of route and who knows who do we have to blame do we have to like i said in the title here do we have to blame little yatty or do we just you know let the guy live and let him enjoy everything and do what he's doing because that is you know one of the things that you should be doing if you've got fuck you money you should be living life exactly as you choose to live life and not you know being bothered about what some random people on the internet think about you and stuff you should be living it exactly how you want to live it so maybe drake is living his truth and doing his thing and we're just absolute haters we're just absolute haters. I don't know. I don't bloody know. Next one, let's talk about this is quickly this topic. DJ Academics recently had, had to hold a bit of an L, which he took with, you know, zero grace, really. But it was hilarious to watch this play out in real time because in my position, or from my opinion, I've always been a little bit perturbed as to why the guy seems seems to be super obsessed with like metrics, numbers and sales and shit. He's probably the person that's been responsible with artists kind of being obsessed with first week sales and platinum this and this malarkey as a metric of like success. When in reality, it should be more of a focus on the artistry. And I think it's had a detrimental effect on the music. I know it's not all academics' fault. It's mostly, I think, also the fault of like the digital streaming platforms because they kind of incentivize people to put out more tunes, to put out longer songs, to make albums way longer than what they need to be, to increase people's you know ability to maybe stay on the apps, to stream more music in order for the artists to make more money because the splits aren't the greatest. So it's a whole cyclical thing. Like everyone plays a role in it, but it's just a shame to see a whole younger generation of kids growing up in hip hop and shit and R&B 
who are using or who see academics as like the number one platform for media and stuff and maybe somebody as a bit of a gatekeeper and a tastemaker in the scene be so obsessed with numbers all the time and that kind of be the number one thing they kind of you know have in mind when they're putting projects or music together we have to make think about numbers 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 when the artistry has to suffer the other thing that also used to always perturb me about academics was this impression i always got from him that he somehow felt as if he was just as important if not more important than the artist which i never understood really like the only reason why he's got the platform that he has now is because the artists exist like people want to hear his opinion about it they want to hear him cover the news but essentially his entire you know livelihood is centered around people who you would maybe describe as being infinitely way more talented than he is risking and will being willing to put out work and you know be criticized and whatnot for him to kind of have work to kind of rip apart and criticize in his own way so i've always thought that kind of tension to be very odd the fact that he's very successful and makes a lot of money is great but it doesn't mean that puts you on the same level as an artist you're not you're a media personality which is great but still that's just what it is um but then obviously i think over time the guy's making so much money and the splits in music are terrible and musicians in general don't make that much money that he's probably making i would say i would go as far as probably saying academics probably makes more than 80 percent of artists in hip-hop right because most of those guys don't make money and only the te top 20 and 10 percent do but one thing i felt like academics never really gave any kind of respect and credence for was how hard it is to be an artist like how difficult it actually is if you have no pool no nothing just a nobody starting from scratch to actually have people buy tickets to your show you know stream your music download it's not easy to do but especially the show part of it like to have people actually leave their house to come and see you is very very difficult and academics got a bit of a taste of that when he was booked to be the headliner podcast right at roots picnic festival out there in festival obviously a festival um founded by the legendary group roots and um yeah he quickly discovered how difficult it is <laughs> to fill out a venue because he was a headlining podcast um appearance here at that festival and only eight people turned up this is a quick clip somebody took from twitter um sharing this news and it looks incredibly depressing. So this is the stage where the everyone, you know, academics and his co-hosts are there doing their live podcasts. And this is where the audience are meant to be. Look at look at the crowd. It's legitimately non-existent. There's like legitimately eight people there. The camera pans across. I think a little bit here. I know that's okay. No, not in this clip, but there's another clip where it sort of like pans across and you see nobody. It's absolutely empty. And you'd imagine something like this would humble you a little bit because, you know, I've been there before where I've put on events and had only my friends turn up, had one person turn up and that person then leave, right? It's, it really is humbling, but it is just a thing that happens. It's just is what it happens at festivals. Oh, uh, sorry, for events, it's difficult to get people out of their house and um, difficult to get people to buy tickets, to actually attend. Like one of the annoying things that happened to me one time was where I booked a show I so I ordered a party and the attendance pre-registration thing was fairly high. Like everyone clicked attending, like it was fucking in the thousands. And on the day, you had like less than 50 people turn up. So people will say they're going to come to something and even if it's a free ticket and then decide not to come on the final day because of whatever reason, change their mind, whatever else, whatever happens. And it's just a natural state of things. So you always kind of, I think, 
I've always had kind of like a, you know, a deep respect for artists that put themselves out there, put on shows and try and cultivate a fan base because that shit isn't easy. So you'd imagine having that L and that kind of level of embarrassment that maybe Ak would see that as like an opportunity to kind of eat a bit of humble pie and sort of kind of take his licks from there and just accept that L, but he didn't. He kind of went on his podcast or his, sorry, his live stream and essentially did a lot of flipping capping, a lot of coping and just rambled and ranted and raved um, and just trying to justify why he had eight people at his show. And this is a small little section I'll play from his live stream taken from his uh, YouTube channel, King Academics, where he tries to address it and just hear his tone, right? So eight people turn up to his live show. No one's there. Everyone sees the pictures, the videos of it. It's kind of embarrassing. Just take the L, especially with somebody like him whose whole career has been centered on dunking on and, you know, teasing and insulting rappers who don't sell a particular amount or who don't get people at their shows. You put on the show or you get booked for a show and now, you know, you're not able to kind of fill it out and you get eight people. You'd imagine his response would be a little bit more humble. But hear, hear how he tries to justify this. Here. Come on. All right. Okay. Is everybody here? We're, we're going to address the big shit immediately. Um, let me let me always just tell y'all this. First and foremost, my name is Big Academics, okay? Let me tell you also this. You know, I ain't you know, <laughs> cocky shit like that. Ain't no online nigga could talk shit about me. I created I created you. Without me, nigga, I'm like Soldier Boy and Chief Keith rolled up in one, nigga. Without me, you wouldn't even be talking shit about me. So any other nigga who talks shit about me but is on, a, on an online platform, I look at him as my son. I might have to baby you. <laughs> what? I might have to baby you because, again, I'm doing the shit that you hope to do. I signed the deals you wish you would do. I'm the nigga who signed a multi-million dollar deal with Rumble. I'm the nigga who signed a eight-figure deal with, 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 with Spotify. I'm the nigga who popped on. Like Y'all niggas can't do nothing to make me feel down at all. So what a bizarre way to kind of frame it, right? No one's want you to feel down. They're just asking you to eat a bit of humble pie because his entire existence is based upon kind of comparing who does well, who doesn't do well. Not his existence, sorry. He's the theme of his kind of way of reporting on the news is mostly about the metrics. It's very rarely about like what is sounding great, right? What's actually a good song. Like who's a good artist? Like it's it, it's just it's mostly about the metrics, which is what it is, isn't it? Because you know, in some cases, being about the metrics and caring about who's number one is also going to make you, by you know, proxy, cover the best people. But in this moment, if only eight people turn up to a show, you just have to eat a bit of humble pie. You have to just be like, okay, cool, my bad, take that on the L, move as it is. But this entire segment it was like, third, I think, longer than this actually the live stream. But only until the middle section did he finally kind of fess up and say, yeah, okay, I'll take the L, I accept it. But along the way, he pulled everyone else along, along down with him. He blamed Roots Picnic for booking him as a headliner and then having him perform at the same time as Lil Uzi Vert. He blamed um, the fact that it was in Philly. Like he was used, he was dragging everybody down with him. And one thing that I've heard him say that was, I thought pretty dumb was that he was like, oh, I don't care anyway. They paid me 30 grand. Now, some people didn't believe he got paid 30 grand. I did. I don't think he's got a reason to lie. Um, and also people really underestimate how much money these festivals are able to pay people. Um, the amount of money they generate and shit, whatever, maybe sometimes that are lost. But it wouldn't surprise me if he did get paid 30,000. But if you, if you know anything about putting on your own shows, if you know anything about performing at shows, 
that sort of thing you don't really kind of bloat, gloat about. If anything, it kind of makes you feel a bit guilty when you do kind of, and I had it happen to you before where I went to DJ at one place and they booked me as a house DJ. And I guess I didn't know, or I didn't ask, I didn't make the correct flipping inquiries. But when I got there, they, my version of house was like Chicago house, right? It was like, what, which I think is better house, right? But their version of house music was like, I don't know, at the time, it wasn't even a disclosure. It was like just incredibly like FIFA music type of shit. And I was like, I don't play that stuff, right? That's kind of like EDM-ish, but that's what they wanted from me. So I went there with like a whole discography full of like old school house and shit, like house music from like the Chicago era and shit and onwards. And it fucking flopped. But it also was one of the gigs I got paid the most for. So I got paid the most for it ever that I've been paid. And I felt so, so guilty coming back home because I did a terrible job. I cleared the dance floor. Everybody left. Like, <laughs> but I just obviously played until the end. Like I was playing my last gig on earth. And in the end, I got my money. I was like, I felt so bad. I didn't want to glow about it. But this guy is glowing about getting paid 30 grand to be the headlining podcast host. But then he's not able to pull more than eight people at the show. That's a bad thing because if anything, it's good that he got the money, but it also means next time he won't get 30,000 because he's going to need to be able to show them he could bring some value there to them. So I think that whole thing was fucking insane and bizarre to say the least, but it was quite nice to hear him admitting it towards the end that he did catch the L. So this is a clip of him admitted towards the end that he did catch the L here. Courtesy of, Sometimes I'm so, courtesy of Chick's move. Life, we all have to eat a slice of humble pie. Today, it was DJ Academic's turn to have a slice of humble pie. Now, Academic's, who brags and boasts and also lives and dies by numbers, the numbers did not work out in his favor this time. So, Academic's was headlining the podcast stage at the Roots Picnic. Somebody put out the footage today that pretty much showed Ak on stage and maybe 8 to 10 people listening to the podcast. Now, you guys know Ak always clowns the Rory and Mall. Last year, Rory and Maul had a podcast stage at the Roots Picnic, and this is what their stage looked like. And also, Summer Walker was performing at the same time. They were still able to hold a decent, sizable crowd. Now, while academic now the funny thing about this, what Chick Smooth mentions, is that Academics has had an ongoing beef with Rory and Maul, ex, you know, Joe Budden podcast host. Like he hates Rory probably more, but he been beefing these guys from the get go. And they don't really respond to him too much. Rory probably more than more. But it must be so sweet if you're somebody that doesn't really like going back and forth with somebody where you're able to kind of succeed. As Your response is your success. They keep going at you. They keep catching L's. And you keep responding by just doing better and better and better. So you don't respond to their fucking insults. You don't respond to their stuff that they're saying about you. You just keep it stum. You keep it cute. And you just keep performing. You just keep showing out. You just keep catching W's while they keep catching L's. That must be so sweet because for sure, Ak was putting a pressure on them online with how he was speaking about them, how disrespectful he was. And then for him to go to the same show, the same festival the next year, get booked as a headliner and then not be able to pull more than eight people is insane. And then him using the excuse that, oh, Louis Vert was playing at the same time is nonsense because at the same time that they were playing, Erica Badu was on, right? So you can imagine the pressure they had to kind of maintain a, a certain crowd because if you've been to a festival, you'd know the festival grounds, there's different stages and sometimes acts on different stages clash. But if you like the act enough, you'll just stay there. 
So if you have fans and they want to see you, they will come and see you. It's not just because, oh, they all listen to Lil Uzi Vert. That's a nonsense excuse. Pandemics was performing. Apparently Uzi was already performing. So some people are shooting him bail saying, well, if you listen to Uzi, then you probably watch academics. So if you had to pick between Uzi and academics, obviously you'd go with Uzi. But at the end of the day, these are all excuses. If you're headlining a podcast stage, people should be coming there to see you. Now tonight on his live stream, academics address this. And I do like academics, but sometimes he just comes off a little bit delusional. For the first 30 minutes of his stream, he gave excuses give a whole lot of money talk he gave a million and one reasons why no one came to his podcast show it wasn't until 30 minutes after his chat kept telling him bro just admit it you flopped and there's nothing wrong with flopping when act realized his fans were not stupid anymore that's when he finally admitted it here's what he said dirt flopped and i flopped <laughs> <laughs> dirt flopped and i flopped hey, hey okay okay okay, okay. Oh, i'm gonna take my flop i'm gonna take i'm gonna take my flop i'm, I'm, I'm taking my flop Okay, I'm taking my flop. It's cool. And the reason why, I'm going to tell you why, I, again, even though I did give excuses, the reason why I'm going to stand on my flop and I'm going to take it is because when another nigga flop, I don't like hearing excuses. <laughs> when another nigga flop, I don't want him to say, oh, my my label ain't pushing. When, when young boy flop, I don't want to hear him like, oh, my Instagram wasn't up. I don't want to hear it. So I'm going to stand on my flop and I'm going to take that shit. What a bizarre human being, isn't it? Really interesting, bizarre human being. Like, imagine having that easily demonstratable flop that you should just be able to take with grace. Like, because there's many sort of like extenuating circumstances that would maybe explain this. Because I listen to a lot of act content and I didn't really hear him promote this show. Right? It's not his show. It's a it's a podcast stage at a festival, music festival like that. Um, he also is a very online heavy person. His fan base, I would assume, don't really go to festivals, let alone the Roots Picnic, right? That's a very, you'd imagine more, a bit more of an older crowd. So it makes sense why Rory and Moore's podcast would have, would have done a lot better there than his would have done. But still, all those things don't excuse the fact that you only had eight people willing to listen to you during the peak set times or whatever the show was on that's still like an L you have to kind of hold and it's okay because there's reasons for it but it's still an L you should just take with grace but he's incapable of doing so because in his head he has this idea that because he's the the richest and the most popularist and all this malarkey that it somehow makes you immune to losses but the one thing that I hated at, uh, with his rant that kind of you know was a little bit distasteful I thought in general and a bit classless was the fact of like pulling others down with him or because little Dirk only sold 120,000 first week and it was meant to be sold 145, uh, that somehow him and little Dirk are comparable. Like because little Dirk technically flopped because he expected to sell more and he sold 20,000 less, whatever, all boohoo, that they're somehow comparable. Like dragging others down with him to make himself feel better is very, very, very bizarre. But ultimately, we know behind all the bravado that he knows that he flopped he knows he did there's no denying that he knows he flopped he knows it didn't go well you just take that l on the chin it should be a humbling experience it probably won't be i think if you're act the last thing you do i think he mentioned at the end of the clip that he's now gonna go out and book free shows i think he says he's gonna do them in la new york and like miami you know markets that he should do well at to kind of you know get back and rewrite this wrong 
I think you should just not focus on that because his focus and the thing that's made him the most money and made him successful and clearly people love the most is how good he is at online content. Just focus on that. You're not like a live experience IRL community type type person. It's not going to happen. I'm sure the academics chat niggas Discord group is fucking huge. There's no... I don't think any reason why anyone should expect that Discord group or those online guys in the flipping chat or in the comments should be any reflection of just his fan base in real life. I don't think they are like that. And I think there are a lot of, the other thing is all about academics, he probably doesn't realise, there's a lot of academics fans out there who are secret academics fans. He says it himself. He has rappers, they're not willing to sort of like, you know, say, hey, I'm a big fan of your show, blah, 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 and, and let it be known. They just kind of tell him in secret. And I'm sure there's fans who watch the show, who are also like that. So they kind of like, you know, it's he's sort of like their guilty pleasure. So imagine having a very online fan base, a very young fan base, a fan base that also that's, that's a bit ashamed of being a fan of yours and then trying to book a, a, a live show. It's not going to go as well as you think it's going to go. And maybe he's starting to realise now, maybe he's starting to realise now and should put a lot more respect on what it is to be an artist and how hard it is. Like the struggle of actually getting people to listen to your music, to buy your songs, to download your albums. It's not easy. Um, and I think that should be something that should go more in his kind of, it should come It should come into consideration more when he's going on these rants, you know, criticizing people, or just talking about people or whatever it may be. Because this obsession with metrics is nonsense because the vast majority of artists they can't rely on metrics to pay their bills. They have to refer kind of other things. Um, they can't really use them to any kind of significant benefit because they're not part of the machine or they're not the priority. There's those things that kind of go on there. Issues in terms of with the label and ownership and contracts and whatever. So all those things sort of affect people's ability to sort of like sell a certain amount. So hopefully this is a wake a wake up corner lesson and he kind of, you know, understands that and is maybe willing to be a little bit more charitable with these artists and not be so critical when they don't sell a particular amount because, hey, being an artist and getting people to actually give a shit about what you do and turn up is really, really fucking difficult. Trust me, I've been there. Trust me, I've been there. So moving on from that one. Oh, and another thing I want to talk about quickly about is actually to end this <laughs> academics thing. What's the deal with DJ academics and girls? One thing that I thought that's always been very striking and obvious to me has been that part of the reason why I kind of find it hard to kind of get into act was that he was just incredibly, he still is incredibly lame, incredibly dorky and clearly somebody who like never really got any girls when he was like growing up and like, essentially use the success and the notoriety to kind of excuse for maybe his inability to be cool in school and to get girls and now that he's got money he kind of feels like you know that gives him the ability to kind of like you know shoot his shit and let his kind of nuts hang for lack of a better term but you always kind of got that feeling okay this is definitely one of those guys that was never cool never that popular never really had friends like that. People maybe looked down upon him in a certain time and now it's sort of like a revenge of the nerd situation where he's kind of, you know, ready to kind of enact revenge on people who didn't look at him really well because now he's got money. But another thing that's really interesting about him, right, that's really interesting, is his kind of perspective on women. Because he had this thing he used to do where he was like hard on thoughts. And his idea behind it was like, oh, you should never trick on a girl. You should never be buying her stuff. Like, treat women, I don't know, I just got not say disposable, but, you know, 
make it hard for them to get stuff out of you or not give them any money or just whatever it was a weird kind of perspective on things because you would think someone like him would be somebody that would benefit from like simp trick sort of like culture and lifestyle because no one's going to be attracted to him based on his looks and personality because you know he's kind of fat not the cutest guy in the world and is a bit of a dork so you'd imagine a lot of women wouldn't be into him off the bat off that so he has to use his money and success to kind of get them, which is not a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you kind of, you always should use the the, the the tools at your disposal to get what you need, really and truly. I would never do it personally, but I think if you're somebody that doesn't have the greatest personality, maybe isn't the most physically attractive to most women, um, and if, but if you have money, why wouldn't you use your money to kind of attract some level of women? But again, he was hard on thoughts. So this update is fucking incredible, right? This is so interesting. Kurt showed this Instagram account called Rappers Down Bad, which is absolutely amazing. It says here, as a caption, right, on the, on the image of Ak, Harden Fox, um movement creator DJ Academics forgives his ex after she assaulted his mum, accused him of being physically abusive and exposed a personal prescription bottle of his. They are now back together and he's paying her 30k a month. And it says in the caption, DJ Academics forgives um, Che Glizzy after exposing him and, and assaulting him and his mother. He is now paying her 30k per month. I'm interested to know what do you guys think is the reason why someone like this, and I've always said this because I, I don't blame the women, why would somebody like Ak be attracted to girls like this lady that he's allegedly involved in? Like, because he seems to like these like ratchet hood girls who are very, I wouldn't say cold. They just, they've lived a life, you know? They, they've lived a real life. They've seen real things and they know how to get the most out of life despite maybe not having the best upbringing, despite not maybe having the best resources, they know how to kind of like get shit out of men and shit. They're very good at what they do. So for me, I would think someone like an act would be the worst. He should not, he should run away. He should run a mile from those type of women because they're going to run his pockets, right? And they clearly do. But he seems to clearly have a thing for them. Like he is drawn to that level of a woman. And part of me thought to earlier today that I wonder if the reason why he's attracted to those kind of girls is because most of them again it's not so most of them but the ones that he likes anyway they're not the most they're kind of ugly too in their own way personality physically face wise they're not the most cutest girls in the world right they're, they're no victoria secrets model or whatnot so maybe because of that there's there's this kind of internal thing where you're like they're kind of on the same level looks wise personality wise they're kind of a bit ugly exuding in and out but you know the, my, the thing that I'm saying on my end is that the girl is like she's lived a she's lived a more real life like she's seen some shit so she's gonna run your pockets so the fact that this woman is the same woman who was the one that was responsible for leaking all those things about Ak earlier where there was pictures of him you know doing shit pictures of his spotty you know pimple covered belly that looked like he had some sort of sti picture of a bottle subscription that he was taking it looked like he had some sort of sti um you know allegedly accounts of him that woman assaulting his mum and shit breaking shit in, in his house and now the recent update about this just to kind of end this is that this same girl is also the same girl who allegedly um has now turned off academics wi-fi this girl has turned off his fucking Wi-Fi, allegedly. Like, she's she's in the house now. I think she's refusing to leave his home. And she's turned off and shut off the Wi-Fi in Academics' house. 
Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine that being your life? Like, can you imagine this girl that you invite into your home is now the person that's, uh, you know, responsible for kind of living in your house under hostage or some regards and is now kind of, oh, there's, there's a picture of the belly and stuff, decided to turn off the Wi-Fi in your home. I think it's fucking fascinating. I really, really do. I know most of you don't care about this sort of stuff, but I legitimately think it's fascinating that Ak is, for some reason, attracted to these women who for, for the most part aren't good for him and are only going to cause him misery and pain but it's also interesting to see what happens in real life with these people when you get when you get no joy no love when you're younger and you're never cool and you suddenly get money and you try and flex and use that money as a kind of badge of coolness and try and kind of flex on people that maybe look shit down upon you and all this malarkey and your views on women are a bit skewed because you don't have much experience with them in real life and all of it's mostly transactional. This is what ends up happening. Like I couldn't imagine paying, I couldn't imagine spending 30K on my own, on to, you know, on myself, let alone spending 30K on another person, honestly. And I have expensive tastes. Like I also like designer clothes. I like eating in good places. I like going on holiday a lot. Like I like doing stuff, right? I like to spend money in my own way. But I couldn't imagine spending 30,000 expenses on my own, on myself, let alone paying somebody 30, 30K a month and being happy with it on top of whatever else they get paid. Like that to me is wild. Anyway, moving on from that one, I went, went to post this as well. This is a kind of, I think my last topic for the day and then I'm going to move on. But this is a really heartbreaking update to kind of provide because I've been a fan of this guy ever since I sort of stumbled upon him. I'm going to say maybe a little bit before the pandemic, I kind of stumbled upon him um, and his DJ and his production and whatnot. And essentially his movement that he was kind of creating with his label and the, the group of artists that he was sort of like working with at the time and DJs and whatnot. I was a real big fan of the guy at that time. And to see his sort of like ascent and him being somewhat relatively under unknown and then becoming a fucking big star. It was fucking incredible to see. But this update absolutely broke my heart. This is courtesy of Instagram and the account of Michael Bibby. Michael Bibby has let the world know that he has been diagnosed with a very, very rare form of cancer. And he's currently in recovery, um, but he's going to be taking some time away, of course, um, to kind of get himself right. The caption says as follows, courtesy of Michael underscore Bibby underscore on Instagram. Hello world, writing this post is a hard one. Last week, I was diagnosed with CNS lymphoma, a very rare cancer that affects the brain and the spine. Unfortunately, it's moving fast and I have to stay in hospital, starting treatment immediately. Typing this message doesn't quite seem real and I'm sorry for the bad news. I don't know what lies ahead. I'm tired, but I know I'm strong and I won't let this beat me. I'll be back stronger for you all. Love, Bibby. And if you don't know who Michael Bibby is, he is obviously a very well-known um, DJ who mostly plays like, I would say, uh, tech house and house music, but a very, very well-known DJ in his field. And, you know, incredibly young, really kind of still going for it, still creating his own legend in real time, but somebody very, very popular in his kind of genre of music. And, you know, just, yeah, just caught me off guard as well, because like I said, I've been following his career since, I guess, just before the pandemic and part of his kind of whole persona and vibe was the fact that he was 
the kind of guy that you would have maybe bumped into on the dance floor somewhere and he kind of made good which is the kind of the perfect story of success for everybody right that wants to be a dj you sort of like start off i know for myself anyway why i'm currently pursuing a career in djing is that you start off being somebody who just loves the music you go out you're a raver you're attending parties you're you know um, cultivating um, a community around you connecting with people understanding what stuff that you're into cultivating your own sound working to be whatever you just start off being a raven and you get into it and then you kind of decide oh wow i can do other things involved in it. i can put on my own events i can become a dj i can be a producer blah 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 blah. but it always starts off from the dance floor so when you see somebody make it who kind of looks like you has a similar sort of vibe maybe comes from the same similar sort of place had the same sort of story it kind of fills you with some bit of joy a little, little, little bit right like oh sick he could he did it i can do it too and honestly michael baby's kind of blow up over the last fucking 10 years has been incredible to watch him go from like zero to one million over such a short period of time 10 years obviously isn't short but still he's been crafting and doing his thing but this really kind of caught me like off guard because i didn't know this was a thing but having checked other djs that he's kind of you know label mates with and friends with and collaborators with one being pauser he was already tweeting about you know michael bibi and having prayers for him since early may so this has been the issue for a while um it's just sad really because this guy's relentless he's always touring he's working hard he parties hard he plays hard like he's legitimately one of those type of dudes so to have this happening at the peak of his career it's not even a peak actually he's just getting started man he has a long way to go must be so so upsetting and for me looking at it just from my kind of angle and things i've spoken about before with my kind of love for electronic music and my love for djing and me pursuing my own career in djing and just being a part of the scene and going out to parties and stuff i've had a really hard time honestly actually more than i would care to admit trying to come to grips with the fact that i have to change a huge part of how I kind of go outside and how I rave, how I party and having to change a huge part of my personality in the process. Because I think oddly enough, maybe a huge part of my personality that I never really admitted was the fact that I was the party boy. I was the one always getting on it. I was the one always pushing the limits. I was the one always at all the parties. I was the one that was staying until the end, going to the afters, being a good vibes. And I was thinking about it just now earlier. I was kind of weirdly enough prouded myself on always being like, oh yeah, that's the guy, you know? Like, it's the guy, he's here. He's going to have a big baggie on him. He's going to have extra drugs. He's going to have this, he's going to have that. He's going to be good fun. He's going to have good chat. He's going to be funny. Like I prided myself on being like, that that guy which is incredibly lame incredibly redacted and kind of embarrassing but when you don't have many hobbies unfortunately as an adult and one part of your hobby includes going out at night and meeting other adults and listening to cool music and dancing it can sound pretty fulfilling and somewhat gratifying that this is a part of your life that you've got that allows you to meet different people travel the world listen to amazing music and have fun it's quite cool but obviously the pandemic happens, everything kind of stops, you know, my kind of tempo kind of wanes a little bit. Um, and, you know, things kind of change in terms of my ability to maybe do the stuff that I used to do. And also my interest and stuff also change. My tolerance level change in terms of what I'm able to accept from people around me. I start to realize, you know what? maybe I'm just not that guy anymore and I have to change that part of my life but it was a huge part of my life for a long time 
because I was promoting parties, I was DJing, um, I was attending events. There was a period in my life where I was a club photographer, like believe that or not, I was legitimately taking pictures in club nights for people and shit and getting paid, sometimes just getting free guest lists and getting free drinks and shit or free drugs. So nightlife and dance music and electronic music and DJ culture, all that shit and clubs has been a huge part of my life. And coming from a very conservative, somewhat you can't do this, you can't do that sort of family, having that sort of outlet when I was a kid to kind of go out and find myself was really important and framed a huge part of my life and actually made me who I am which is sounds cringy and honestly so lame. I know it's saying this out loud, but last for the last couple of years, I had to kind of come to grips with like, you know what? I have to change things because I can't keep this up. Like I'm not the same guy anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. It's taken me too long to recover. I'm not having as much fun as I was before. I'd rather do it like once or twice a year, if that, and I just need to kind of approach it differently. So it's been difficult to kind of come to grips with. And, um, in this case with Michael Bibby, I'd imagine he's probably the same, if not even more, because, you know, he's a worldwide, well-known, super successful, famous DJ. He probably gets to indulge in anything that he wants. And then out of the blue, you have a health scare and it completely changes everything, you know? Because no one's sitting here saying, oh, it might be his lifestyle that contributes. We don't know. I'm not going to start to cast aspersions on that one. This could just be bad luck. We don't know. But it must be so... If I was having a real, you know, cope session and midlife crisis with my emotions, imagine how you must feel. You're doing your your thing. You're this well-known DJ. You have like 300 plus gigs a year or something crazy, right? And then it just shifts. You go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And it's just something that you can't control. He has, I guess, loads of money, I'd imagine, right? He's a very successful, very popular DJ, but none of that can actually help you in this case. It's just kind of weird luck of the draw. And you just have to kind of hope and pray that things kind of get better and you can kind of fight this. Even though he said in his own words that this um, version of cancer, CNS lymphoma, is very rare. And also it's affecting a place like the brain and the spine, which I'd imagine are hard places to treat so how do you kind of like you know you know what i mean it's just a difficult thing to kind of come to grips with but you're just praying and hoping for the best and hoping he stays strong is able to kind of battle and fight through this because this must be such a shock and i don't know for me watching this was kind of hard to see but also it kind of made me kind of you know it kind of made me kind of be like you know what like suck it up i guess you know stop being a fucking baby Oh, boohoo, you can't go out as much. Boohoo, you can't go and get on this one. Boohoo, it takes you 10 days to fucking recover um, after a fucking night out, you know. But at least you are able to make that decision now. It's not like the party is telling you to leave. You're actually actively saying, hey, I'm stepping away. Nothing catastrophically bad has happened. It's just me just saying, you know what? Um, I'm done with this sort of thing and I'm going to do it another way. So um, in this case, I think this is a very good cautionary tale and also more so than heads up for both people to just, you know, try to focus on their health as much as they can do and have some sort of balance. But I'm also very aware that this could also just be a case of just really unfortunate bad luck 
where it had nothing to do with his lifestyle, nothing whatsoever. It just happened out of the blue. And now he has to kind of deal with this whole new reality when just the other week, just a couple of months ago, he was somewhere in some warm, sunny beach and some big festival, his arms out wide, having a great time. And now it all kind of changes. So it can be a bummer, but I'm hoping he gets better soon. Hoping this isn't something that is going to be, um, you know, uh, you know, in that way. And I hope he's been able to kind of recover and bounce back from this in any way that he can. Um, but yeah, this just caught me off guard. I was like, fuck, man. Fuck, 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 fuck. Um, and the guy's super young as well, has his whole entire life ahead of him. So it's just a really unfortunate kind of, you know, um, situation that's kind of occurring here in real time. But it's been nice to see the outpouring of support. This is just a screenshot that I obviously have saved here. But if you go on his actual Instagram, there's like, you know, I think last time I checked, there was like, I don't know, I think like 20,000 comments. I, I kid you not. Already this one has like a half a million likes. Like loads of people from the community are already pouring their support in, into him, you know, giving him words of encouragement. I'm sure there are people within the scene who have also had direct experience with people that have suffered from the same diagnosis, giving him maybe words of encouragement, support, advice, recommendations, whatever. So it's nice to see. And I imagine a lot of those people are also people that didn't probably like him. Right? They probably thought he was lame or corny or represented the bad side of music or, you know, business techno side of things. But they're all kind of banding together and saying, nah, man, we need to kind of give this guy our love and support from afar and kind of hope that that can kind of contribute um, to his overall recovery. So, again, on my end, I can only extend my thoughts and prayers out to Michael Bibby. Hope he does make a speedy recovery and he's able to overcome this huge hurdle in life. And I also hope that this is a wake up call for a lot of people people out there um myself included to you know focus on your health a lot especially if you're somebody that is involved in dance music is involved in nightlife to kind of have a some level of balance or to maybe decide when you need to decide that you need to hang it up and whatnot because sometimes um this sort of lifestyle and going the way that these guys are going and um, doing the things that they're doing at that kind of pace maybe isn't that kind of you know um isn't that sustainable maybe maybe that's the case but you know what what do i know what do i know anyway that has been the agassino zinger show episode number 679 thank you so much for tuning in it's been your first time i really do uh, appreciate everybody that's been hanging in there with me it's been a pleasure to have your company if you've enjoyed the show and you're watching the show live via youtube please make sure that you like it as per usual you know the vibes that'd be greatly appreciated if you listen to this via the podcast app and you can hear the outro song playing really slow underneath my voice right now then make sure you also jump onto your podcast apps and leave me a five-star review that'd be greatly appreciated but apart from that i don't ask anything more from you i'm just happy that you listened and you tuned in with me it's always my pleasure to share some of this cultural news with you that i'm always obsessed with and care about and some of the stuff that doesn't make any sort of sense but you guys kind of still tune in i really do appreciate that and um yeah man for those of you who are listening i do appreciate it and i will be seeing you again very very soon Thank you everyone that tuned in. Big up the live stream chat. Big up all the people listening on to this after the fact via the audio podcast. I appreciate you as per usual. The song of the day is playing right now and I'll see you guys again very, very soon. Peace. I'm feeling villainous I couldn't afford them kicks I had one pair and I cleaned them rigorous Squeezed in junior I feel like Vinicius Young G's stupid but they ain't idiots It's scary, trapping, insidious How you expect us to know how to love? You know?
I can't teach no one how to hustle, some man just got it Back then I got chased by feds, I ran out of breath and I wanted to vomit I hit that free, she put me in cuffs, it triggered my trauma, I tell her to stop it She wanna know if I'm really balling, that girl there wanna weigh my wallet We ain't doing irrational get-backs, creep up clean when they least expect it Hygiene's poor, look at the floor, there's insects crawling, I could've got sepsis Nasty, still try fuck on my stepsis <laughs> Ran through enough of these famous girls, but I still got some on my checklist Gunman on my guest list I took bro bro out the trenches Jump out the Volvo, jump out the Lexus Active, he ain't got no preference Slapped it, but when a retrospective I could have been calm and collected Avoided a problem and feed the scene Too vocal, don't need no beat I go old school like a Visu jeans Who's that with the cargoes and Cortese? The back pole count and the waist petite Got flown out all the way to Greece She got great physique 2am I'm calling Clint like Yo, who's that girl on the vest? I'll send a delivery text, I know that it's wrong, it is what it is Broski locked and visiting him, brought eaters to the prison for him Vision for him and it's bigger than him, disrespect him, sizzling him That girl looked like scissor to me, how you upset that I cut you off When you basically handed the scissors to me, two men step diligently Watch my back vigilantly, my young boy do man differently She wanna show them girls she know me, call my government name I never tuck my shirt in school so why would I grow up and tuck my chain Hide my face like fuck the fame, trust in But love's the same I don't trust anyone lately This lifestyle's sending me crazy Who's to say that they'll never betray me Rusty one from the 1980s But a new plate, a millennium baby She deserve a standing ovation The way that she got on her knees and ate me Two hands, Lord Jesus, save me We all know the industry's fake The street's fake as well Stand up for my rights like Santan Dave Them man stand up like Dave Chappelle You can lock the lock but the trap don't stop Half of the block get paid in jail That was a risky text before Now it's no danger, I'm on a major scale That was a risky text before If I send that now, there ain't no danger The way that the light bounce off of these GIAs Make gal like stranger Got love for all of the young G's Booking a flight and I'm headed to Asia Four and a baby going away Times are hard, I slept in a manger Give her the Trojan, give her the Trojan Horse, I feel like Troy Had a revolver decomposing Hit in the woods, I feel like Roy She give me a wine, blood rush to my genitals Lucky for me, she can feel my Is it right? Won't say that it is Shame that it isn't, it is what it is Aye Dave, I don't even want to release I don't want to be mentioned in the same sentence As none of these creeps I don't want to come to your session I don't want to jump on none of your beats We could talk about direct debit My monthly payment, a hundred G's Tax man on me, I keep receipts My biggest pagans, HMRC <laughs> Bro got it in masjid He got a mad thing under his commise Bad one watching her calories, long thing Cause I wanna go out to eat Hella petite, like Bella Hadid So I handle it delicately She kinda surprised I got eloquent speech I got a thing from DC, Harley Quinn Feel like the Joker Back then I had my nankin Dallas Texas holding me and my poker Anti-social, I'm a loner He got done up in mid-November And didn't recover till late October You need more than sling on the shoulder Young black Britain, Italian kit I feel like Tammy and Roma I had the range with an extra seat So I squeezed that bitch in the back of the Rover Cliffs of Dover, white on sea Who's that there on the C2C? She want a man with decent pee And her ex is a factor, me should be Let's not talk about making a meal This year I average one in a month Had a vision of running it up And it's working well like rum and a punch In DLT I ain't come for a brunch Who's that brown is sat in a passy I had plans of a cash and carry My legs were dry and my elbows ashy Alright, speaking of ash I beg you man, I'll just smoke a little please, man. But I need tobacco